This week's story makes reference to a subject which some might find upsetting. The story does not contain graphic details about the incident, but makes reference to it. Stories are a way to help us engage with taboo topics. My name is Osadimibi, and every week I will tell you a short story written by a Nigerian writer or author. That's the long and short of it. So without much ado, this week's story is by Amarachi Ike, and it's titled Broken Things. Nazar asks if I have seen what is on the group chat, and I feel my heart begin to race again. It is the fourth time I am being asked this question today. Our famous poet friend tried to kill himself this morning, and the news has metastasized all over campus. I have heard the news already, three times before, but I let her tell it to me like it's the first time. She says it happened around 7am, when the shuttle bus drivers begin to line their shuttles along Manoa bus stop. He went to the fourth floor of the abandoned building at the centre of campus, not so far from the school library. The building where the Kabashas go down to pray down principalities and powers. It is not the first time a suicide has been attempted in that building. Two months ago, a girl in the Department of Business Administration climbed three stories and tried to throw herself down. Six months before that, a student downed two bottles of sniper and a liter of petrol on the top floor. Their stories may be different, but the response is always the same. It will start tomorrow with radio stations and student podcasts nestling the news like a newborn baby, debating the many possible reasons why a student might try to kill themselves. They will blame everything from satanic forces to the building itself if they have to. Messages will be shared on departmental group chats, prompting students to check on their friends and loved ones. Aspersions will be thrown at the school government, the federal government, the sky, and the gods will not be left out. For a short while after, a campaign against suicide will take place. Small enough to cost us nothing, but big enough for us to say we did something. It won't take much time for us to forget, though, only to be reminded by another attempt or success and begin to cast blame on each other like we're doing now. I don't know why my favourite poet has tried to kill himself today. I know he's dramatic and toes the line of gender heterodoxy. He writes poems about his suffering dead flowers, and his late grandfather's bicycle. He has let me watch him cry once, and on the occasion will drink himself to his stupor. Reckless and sad and hopeless and genius as he is, he has never been the type to want to die and to want to die so violently. The last time we hung out, we shared a table at a bush bar off campus.
and a smile lit up his face like he had just won the lottery. From where we sat, we could see the warm rays of a retiring sun behind the fan-shaped palm tree near our table. We stayed until nightfall and talked about the drudgery of school and the things that were happening in our small campus literary community. Who was doing exceedingly well, who we would never admit in public had plateaued, etc. Before we left, he told me he had been shortlisted for a foreign prize. Something huge for him. A thousand dollars in prize money. We traded ideas of what we could do with the money. Start a literary magazine. Begin a business venture. Buy Bitcoin. Trade Forex. Elope the country and change identities. We were drunk on ideas. I congratulated him and held his hand from across the table. I told him bigger things were coming his way. He grinned and squeezed my hand before letting go. He wrote me a poem on the back of our POS receipt as a thank you. It escaped me to ask what the thank you was for. Nazai is still rattling on about the incident. We are in the self-contained we share in Maryland and the afternoon is hot. So hot we've stripped down to the pants and camisoles we wore beneath our clothes before heading out for lectures. There's a video, she says, placing her phone in my hands. Could there have been parts of himself he thought needed hiding from me? They said he was up there for 30 minutes before he jumped off, she continues. There was a group that met him there. One new fellowship like that. She presses the play button. How easily Nazar does this. The way her eyes carry a glint of fascination. The way her voice, tinged with equal amounts disgust and excitement, boasts of having watched the video five times before now. She has a whole inventory in a folder on her laptop. Beheadings, rape, beatings, mob lynchings. The first time I asked her, she said it was just a hobby and she laughed me off. We haven't talked about it since then. I want to tell her to stop the video while it's buffering. But it starts playing. He's a figure in the rectangular screen. A small dot on the six-story building. The video zooms in. He's still wearing his law student uniform. He takes off his tie. And then his leather shoes. He walks to the concrete edge. He looks down. This boy is going to jump. Hey, you should come and see. This boy is about to jump. Oh, Jesus. This boy is going to jump now, 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 now. Oh. A male voice in the background chants. I pause it. The video. I don't want to watch it. I don't. I say with an air of finality. Uh-uh. But other people have watched it. It does not mean I have to.
You should shall watch it, she says and presses play. I really don't. I pause the video. Just watch it now. Why, Naza? What the hell makes you think I want to watch it? She rolls her eyes and hisses. Babe, you're being dramatic. It's not like the guy's dead. I, I, I'm confused. Is this in any way entertaining to you? Of course not. So why should I watch it, Naza? Why? Eh, why? She reluctantly puts the phone away. I remember how one night, Naza convinced me to watch the Alufo video with her. It was a week after moving in with me, when our every conversation was still burdened with fake niceties. When we still tiptoed around each other, acclimatizing to our new living conditions. Not once did she flinch in the three minutes the video played. Perhaps in a sick way, this was how she bonded with people. You obviously don't want to watch it now, but it is important you watch it later, she says. Sometimes you need to see these things for yourself to know the level of depression the person is in, don't you think? I sigh. I fear my words may start a fire. I just thought to tell you anyway, she says, reaching for her laptop. You have not been online all day, and your number was not going through. I thought maybe something bad had happened to you. I want to tell her that something bad did happen to me. A friend just tried to kill himself today. A friend who writes me poems and has watched me fall time and again, albeit metaphorically. A friend who has picked me up each time. Every memory I have of us is now tainted with this morning's incident. Every poem he has ever recited for our small group of writer friends. Every time I applauded when instead I should have been concerned. I made the center of our relationship my suffering. I have been a terrible friend. Never pausing to let him speak. Never pausing to delve into his own world of suffering. Did you know about it already? Nazar asks, pulling me back to myself. I heard people talking about it at ref today. I respond. No, I mean... Did you know he was depressed before? Did you? I ask. Was it not obvious? She retorts. I look away. It wasn't his poetry, she continues. Anyway, class rep posted something on the group chats today. Someone has a few broken things. A fractured leg, fractured ribs, his collarbone too. Oh, and his jaw. Uh, yeah, and he lost some teeth, but that's elementary at this point. He also lost a lot of blood, but somehow he's still alive. They're keeping him in A&E at Park Lane. Okay, I say. There is a pigeon outside. And I can hear it cooing. Will we go and see him? 
she asks. I do not know how to answer. Shouldn't we? She continues. Isn't that the right thing to do? Chinaza, I don't know. I mean to say I'm not ready. I mean to say to hell with poetry. I mean to say to hell with the sensationalization of depression as anything but the mental disease it is. I mean to say I have spent some time convincing myself life is worth living because of Soma. And I now don't know how to do for him what he has done for me. I lay on my back and close my eyes and choose instead to listen to the pigeons cooing. Slowly, my breathing normalizes. My heartbeat steadies. Amarachi Ike is a creative writer residing in Enugu, Nigeria. She is passionate about telling stories and draws inspiration for her writing from everyday people. You can read more of her fiction, poetry and musings on Medium at Amara Next Door. And you can connect with her on Instagram at amara.nextdoor or on Twitter at amaranextdoor. Details and links will be in the episode description. If you've got a story you would like to be featured on this podcast or a published book you want to make into an audiobook, send an email to info at osadumebi.com or send me a message at osadumebi on either Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn or Twitter. I look forward to collaborating with you. And if you've enjoyed this week's episode, please subscribe Leave a review and tell a friend that stories are a good escape for a few minutes each week.